This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where me and my brother John, we talk about death, we answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing I'm doing all right. I, I just learned that Merle Haggard died, Hank. Uh, as, as we're recording this, I just found out on Twitter uh, about the death of the great country uh, music legend Merle Haggard. Uh, Merle Haggard who uh, performed one of my all-time favorite country songs, Mama Tried. Whether you know it or not, Hank, you've heard that song. Do, do you know when? Uh, yeah, it was at your wedding. Uh, it was at my wedding. It was my, uh, my, my, la- my, my first dance with my mother after my wedding uh, was Mama Tried. In fact, Hank, if, if you don't mind, if I could just jump right into the poem uh, for today. It's just, the, uh, it's just the chorus of Mama Tried, which is a two-minute long song. <laughs> uh, and this is its, uh, its brilliant chorus. I turned 21 in prison, doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but Mama tried. Mama tried. Mama tried to raise me better, but her pleading I denied. That leaves only me to blame, because Mama tried. Mama tried, the great Merle Haggard song. Uh, Just a beautiful, beautiful song. And a wonderful song to dance with your mother (laughs) to at your wedding. That's uh, wonderful, John. You're... uh... Did you have another poem scheduled that you had to bump? I did. I did. I had a nice Emily Dickinson poem. But uh, you know what? There's world enough in time to quote a different poet. It's true. It's true. We're going to keep making these. Uh, you know, I think we've, we're have we going to hit, in, in not too long, our full year of podcasting, which kind of amazes me. I, I, I don't feel like it's been that long. And I think that would be a great time to retire, to announce our unexpected retirement from potting. Well, you've ruined it if it was going to be unexpected because we're 10 days early. But 
That's uh, a great point. But I, I, I don't think we're going to do that. I really like doing this. I really like that we have people listening to us be idiots. And uh, thank you all for, for, for listening. And uh, it's such a wonderful part of my week because I get to talk to my brother for a full hour. And we probably otherwise wouldn't be having these fun conversations. No, it's true. And I, I also really love it. This is one of my the highlights of my week, um, talking to you, hearing from listeners. And it's such a supportive uh, listening community. A lot of times on, on the internet these days, it feels like, uh, you know, things are just so, uh, I don't know. It, 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 a lot of times, frankly, like it, my life on the internet isn't as uh, fun and carefree as it used to be, uh, partly because, you know, just the... My, my public profile has changed a lot in the last few years and this place remains a place that's very fun and supportive and where um, we can experiment and make mistakes and we have lovely people to point out our mistakes without being cruel about it. (laughs) Yeah, for example, all of the people who pointed out that in our last podcast we discussed parsley as if it was flavorless. Uh, Boy, parsley has a lot of defenders. Yes, Hank, we were totally wrong about parsley being flavorless. Yeah, mea culpa parsley fans. I apologize for insulting what is your favorite set of leaves. Yeah, uh, in fact, we didn't just get parsley wrong, Hank. We got a bunch of things wrong. Oh, yeah? Are we going to start off a podcast with with corrections? Yeah, we're just going to... If I could just make one more correction before we get to uh, some some listener questions. Uh, Somebody pointed out that uh, I said that Boris Johnson is like the Donald Trump of England... In fact, this is only true insofar as they physically resemble each other. Uh, Boris Johnson <laughs> is nothing like Donald Trump, um, you know, and and I want to be very clear about that, lest uh, defenders of Boris Johnson, and, and they are many, um, think that they are also defenders of Donald Trump, or indeed defenders of Donald Trump think that they also have to defend Boris Johnson, who at least pays lip service to the idea of a national health service. Yes. Right. Uh, I know nothing about Boris Johnson, and so have, have nothing to add. My main feeling about Boris Johnson is uh, that I wish that he would say yes to the AFC Wimbledon Stadium. I actually have no <laughs> second thought about his work. <laughs> My only problem with him, with him is that th- this one local zoning issue, uh, <laughs> and thus I'm going to compare him to Donald Trump. It's not a local zoning issue, Hank. It is an issue... Of uh, of great import to the future of our civilization, because I would argue that this whole time what we've been doing is trying to create a world in which AFC Wimbledon can go home like the whole time. I mean, from 250,000 years ago, from the first humans that happened building structures with the first tools, what they were thinking is someday, someday we will be able to build a new plow lane. We have a question. It's from Lydia who asks, (laughs) Dear Hank and John, please help. For the past week, a particularly fierce bird has been dive bombing my window and ramming into the glass with its beak. How do I stop this persistent fiend from attacking my house? How should I reinforce my window to prevent potential bird invasion? You know, Hank, in my limited experience with this phenomenon, it's generally a kind of one-time thing, which is that the bird hits the window and then the bird falls dead to the ground. No, 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 no. This is a different thing. That's when uh, when a bird thinks that it's 
uh, that there is nothing there and it's trying to fly through the window. What is happening in mm. Lydia's case is, is that your window is slightly reflective or very reflective, depending on how new your house is. And, uh, and, and the bird is seeing in that window a potential rival and, and is defending its territory and is, is very upset and stressed out by the fact that this bird is not responding to its defense of its territory. And it will continue to attack your window until the season in which, uh, in, in which this territoriality uh, is over. And that might be just the breeding season of the spring. It might be through the nesting season. It depends on the species of bird. But if you are having a serious problem with this, the bird's not going to be able to break your window. Um, but if the bird is injuring itself which they will do, or if it's keeping you up at night, you can hang, like, just some some tarp or, like, like painter's tarp that you can get at the hardware store over your window temporarily so that it, it does no longer is is afraid of itself, <laughs> which is what's happening. <laughs> I've had this happen to me before several times. Uh, robins, in particular, do this. It's funny. I'm laughing. I'm laughing like birds are so <laughs> stupid. But, of course, like, I am also afraid of myself. <laughs> All right, Hank, we've got another question. This one comes from Liz, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my best friend is getting married in October, and we were talking about what she'll do if she's in her wedding dress and needs to poop because <laughs> wedding dresses are tricky to deal with. I have a vested interest in this matter since I'm her maid of honor and will probably have to help her with her dress if she does need to poop. So my question is, is there a healthy-ish way to just not poop for a day? Liz? Well, John and I... We are both experts on this topic. You have come to the right place. This is one of the very few times when Hank and I can provide genuinely non-dubious <laughs> advice. I did, uh, I'll say before we get to our level, our areas of rec- expertise, I asked Catherine about this because I have never worn a wedding dress. Sure. And I was like, how much of a problem would this yeah. be? And Catherine had some very specific answers. She said, if, if you're wearing Spanx, uh, that you should be concerned uh, only if you're wearing the kind that like go up around your shoulders because there's like full body spanks. Uh-huh. So you do want to be careful if you're wearing full body spanks because that like then you have to take everything off in order to poop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, you can just uh, lift up the dress and bundle it around your front and hold it in front of you. Yeah, I can picture that. And uh, and sit down. And, and poop like a normal mm-hmm. um, and and you can get help uh, you can get help before you go into the bathroom getting sort of all of the undergarments in order uh, so that no one has to be in the bathroom with you but uh, I do agree that it would be best if you didn't have to right. poop so John so here's what I would advise I would advise the morning of your uh, nuptials really even if you're not wearing a wedding dress um just just to make it a little less stressful uh just to to take away one variable uh i would advise taking one uh capsule of emodium ad just one yes one should do Mm -hmm. don't overdo it don't overdo it you may be slightly inconveniencing your future self but it's just i think it's great to take a day off from or half a day off from pooping on uh, on your wedding day. I think that's advisable. I uh, I do this during VidCon, by the way, um, and yep. I, I and in several other circumstances uh, when you like you just don't want to you know you just don't want to. So yes, it it is a it is a healthy ish way to slow down your bowels 
And that's that's what it's for. Yeah. Now, of course, you don't want to be taking uh, lots and lots and lots of Imodium at lots and lots of times or you can get something called toxic megacolon. Yeah. Toxic megacolon is a real thing. It's a real word. It is very dangerous. Uh, it's a bad it's a bad way to die. And it sounds quite fun, uh, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> toxic megacolon. It sounds fun, but surprisingly enough, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it sounds like a really good hard rock band, but it turns out to be um, an occasionally uh, f- fatal, yes. uh, terrible, terrible disease. So don't don't uh, don't overdo it. But yeah, that would be my my uh, one piece of advice. We have another question. Hank, this one is from Harrison, who asks, dear John and Hank. Do you consider yourselves to be renaissance men? I, you know, I don't want to badmouth Harrison in this circumstance, but he, he, that is one of the questions I deleted uh, and was like, eh, we'll skip that one because I don't. I, no, I, you know the reason I wanted to answer it? Okay, yeah. Uh, when we did the uh, very controversial Crash Course World History episode on the renaissance, um, I, mm. I googled, uh, there's this guy, How Jay Say, and he says every word yep. in the English language. He's very helpful oh, yeah. for no, pronunciation guide. And so yeah. I, I looked on how Jay say how you pronounce Renaissance, and he says Renaissance or Renaissance. And ever since then, whenever I hear the word <laughs> Renaissance, I insist on like saying, you know, uh, uh, Renaissance is also an acceptable pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> so just the other day, Sarah, Sarah and I were doing the crossword, and she was like, uh, "Do you know a Renaissance painter?" And I said, "Do you mean a Renaissance painter?" Because I don't really answer to Renaissance anymore. <laughs> Oh my God. Sarah asked you if you knew any Renaissance painters because she couldn't come up with any or because she because she wondered if you did. She mostly studies uh, contemporary art history. Yeah. I will remind you. Oh, right, right. She's not an expert in the uh, Renaissance. I will. I will say, uh, Harrison, the reason I didn't want to answer this question is because I didn't think there was any way of me getting out of it without sounding like a douche. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and Can I yet, give you a John piece of has just gone and embraced it, just hugged right onto that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, went in a totally different direction yeah. from where I would have gone, yeah. but also yeah. still sounded like a douche. Yeah, my answer is that I do not consider myself a Renaissance man, but I do strongly <laughs> consider myself a Renaissance man. <laughs> All right, do you want to do a more serious question, John? Get get to get to a serious one. Yes, desperately. No, I don't. Let's keep it with the silly ones. They're fun and easy. <laughs> okay, well, let's do a more serious one. This one's from Patrick, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, I'm having trouble in my personal." Re- life and require a good source of dubious advice. Back in January, my girlfriend walked out on her job for various emotional reasons. Since then, she's moved into my apartment with me, and while that's fine and dandy, I work a minimum wage job, and it's hard to make ends meet all by myself. While my girlfriend is looking for a job, I just don't know if she gets how stressed I am about the situation. I've tried telling her multiple times, and she keeps telling me that she gets it, but I'm unsure about that. How should I go about telling her in a way that she will get what I'm saying. Patrick, I think she gets it. I think probably she gets it. She's just also probably very, very stressed out about it. I bet she's pretty freaked out too. Uh, I, I, a lot of people... So you probably like can't 
it's one of those things where you can't really discuss how freaked out you are with each other because doing that uh, freaks you both further out because it calls into question uh, this whole sort of like grounded central relationship in your lives. Mm -hmm. And so like that becomes more stressful rather than less stressful, which is not uh, particularly good advice, just an observation. Yes. Uh, I will also say that that uh, having a girlfriend uh, who has moved in with you and sh and and you are paying all of the rent is... Uh, is is going to be a like a source of stress. It's always going to be un unless and until she has a job to help pay the rent. Uh, that or if you're married, I mean, yes. you feel like it's it, it's the relationship that you want to have, the kind of structure of the partnership that you want to have. Right. You, you have to be asking yourself like every month you are investing like a lot of money into this relationship. Now this is a terrible way to think about it, but. Bear with me. Uh, that is a truly a terrible way to think about it. Every every month, you're investing like $250 in this relationship. I bet that's not the central investment. <laughs> but it's something to consider um, and, and to, to know that that's like it, that's a psychological thing in your own mind. And, uh, and, and that you say it's fine and dandy. But is it though? Because clearly you were you are freaking out about it and you're stressed about the situation. So um, so there's it's worth asking yourself if you are if you are only stressed out because you are having a hard time uh, paying the rent, or if you're also stressed out because you feel like you are carrying the this burden and it is a very difficult burden to carry. Uh, but yes, my my guess is that this is a very stressful situation, and there and and there is very little as stressful as money problems in a relationship and uh and and i uh, I, th I think that it, it's going to be difficult to be open about it because of how stressful it is. Yeah, but at the same time, I do think that it, like closing down the lines of communication and not being honest about your feelings are probably not going to be particularly productive. This reminds me in general, Patrick, that Hank and I are much better at addressing whether or not you should take a modium on your wedding day uh, <laughs> than we are at, at giving big life advice. Yes. I would say to to just try to you know, try to keep the lines of communication open mm -hmm. and uh, and try to have productive conversations instead of just like, I'm really stressed out about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and also to know that, uh, you know, that the emotional reasons that your girlfriend left her job are probably very real. Um, and, and the way that you call them various emotional reasons kind of makes me feel like you don't feel like they are super real. Yeah, I, I think that's the other thing is that you've got to have that you've got to have that conversation as well. Hey, can we move on to another uh, very serious question? OK, John, this question is from Lena and she writes, uh, whenever I'm about to sneeze and I realize that I'm wearing my friend's sweatshirt, I feel self-conscious about sneezing into it. Is it OK to do that? Will I get my friend sick? I mean, first off, uh how often are you wearing your friend's sweatshirt? Uh, I mean, I've got to call into question this whole, like, whenever I'm wearing my friend's sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah. Claws. Yeah, I mean, like, is it is it really your friend's sweatshirt anymore? Uh, right. I mean, once you've worn your friend's sweatshirt three times and your friend hasn't worn it once, it's kind of your sweatshirt. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Um, let, me, and, and let me submit, Lena, that you are in fact... Sneezing into your sweatshirt that you stole from your friend. 
<laughs> the other question is, uh, I, so like, are we doing like the vampire sneeze where you sneeze into your elbow pit? Is that the idea? Is that what you Because other, like, how else do you sneeze into a... Are you, like, lifting it up over your mouth? I assume that she's sneezing into her elbow pit because she's a civilized human being who's read the CDC's most recent guidelines on where to sneeze. Okay. Well, I'm just making sure. It sounds a little, like... It sounds a little like like sneezing into your like like lifting it up over your mouth and sneezing like into your body, which is terrifying to me. Well, I mean, you want to sneeze anywhere other than into your hand, which is the grossest and most horrifying which, yes. place you can possibly sneeze. Yes, sneeze on the thing that you then touch everything with that I also yeah. touch everything with. Yeah, sneeze on your sneeze on your touching apparatus. No, first off, Lena, I want to congratulate you on sneezing into your uh, elbow. That is the correct way of doing it. Secondly, um, I don't think you need to worry since this is no longer your uh, your friend's sweatshirt. It is clearly yours. <laughs> Thirdly, uh, you will get your friend sick, uh, but only if they then uh, put their own mouth on that same place in the sweatshirt. And frankly, if that's the sort of thing that's happening, I think that this relationship might be more serious than you know. <laughs> All right, John, we got another question. This one is from Akshata, who asks, Dear Hank and John, you may have seen Minute Physics video why you should care about nukes, and I wanted to know where nuclear winter falls on John's list of eschatological anxiety. Thank you so much for the question. Uh, it's definitely um, in my uh, top 10 list of ways that the human species uh, could come to an end, but it's not near the top, just because I think that while uh, nuclear winter could lead to a dramatic reduction of the, the population of humans, I think that some humans would survive it. It would be like fallout. Well, yes, but would you be one of the humans that would survive? I mean, just look at me, Hank. Do I look like I would survive a nuclear war? No! No, of course not. Definitely in any not. apocalyptic okay. scenario, Hank, I am going to be in the first 5% of people who die. Like, if there's some, <laughs> like, a 1919-style Spanish flu, I'm going to be, like, patient seven. <laughs> Um, the, that, that video that Henry, uh, that Henry made, um, I, I, for, for one of the first times ever found myself kind of disagreeing with a premise in a minute physics video, which is that, uh, while we probably will not intentionally destroy, uh, destroy all of human life with a nuclear winter, we might do it by accident because we see some sign that someone else is launching nukes at us and then we will launch nukes at them and then they will launch nukes at us and then we will launch nukes at them. Um, and, and that just, I don't know. I guess I have a little bit more faith in humanity than that. I, uh, I don't know that I have much more faith in humanity than that. I mean, the issue, I think the, uh, yeah, I, I think the issue is that if a war that uses nuclear weapons begins, and I will remind you that we are less than one human lifetime into the age of nuclear weapons, mm -hmm. um, that war will likely involve a lot of radioactive fallout. Uh, even if it is relatively brief, uh, I think that it would be pretty catastrophic. I don't think that we would be likely to r reply to an incoming barrage of 20 nuclear warheads with an outgoing barrage of 200. Um, and I think that's the only way that you really have a sudden apocalyptic event. I don't think that's likely. Oh, we could definitely do that. If we got hit with 20 nukes, we could definitely shoot out 200. Well, we could. We I just to. don't think we would. 
is what I'm saying. Right, right. You're saying you're saying that it's so I, an interesting. So I, I want to make sure that all your eschatological anxiety is in order here. So sure. um, the interestingly, the fallout isn't necessarily the dangerous part. It's what happens when a large city burns. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not just the initial explosion. It's also all of the fuel that will burn um, in the city and then create and, and in all of the cities that that. If we are doing a nuclear attack on cities, that's the problem. If we're doing a nuclear attack on uh, on, on like military installations and on uh, and on areas where there might be nuclear silos, like that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. But if we're doing them on cities, first big problem: cities are burning. Second, you create this massive amount of dust that goes into the atmosphere, and and even in a relatively small level, small scale attack. Uh, where lots of cities are burning, you see, you know, like sort of a three-year decrease in the temperature of the Earth of like 20 or 30 degrees, which basically means no more food uh, in, a, in, a lot of, in a lot of places. Mm. So that's the, the concern is not the radiation. It's, it's, the, uh, mm. it's the, the collapse of agriculture. Um, okay, and that that's something that that's something that, by the way, also could happen with a supervolcano relatively easily. I was just reading a, an article about um, how most of the mass extinctions that we have on record were caused by supervolcanoes, and it, in a way, supervolcanoes are somewhat similar to nuclear winter in the way that they operate. Um, and and I just want to say that one of one of the potential uh, um, side effects of these large uh, large stormy events uh, that have lots of heat on the ground and lots of dust being thrown up in the air is a thing called a hypercane. And I dislike the word hypercane and I want to make a sci show about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, after hearing all of that, I think that I'm going to move nuclear winter to the bottom of the top five of my eschatological anxieties instead of the bottom of the top 10. So. Congratulations, Minute Physics. Uh, you've done it. Uh, also, Akshanta, uh, you've done it as well. Uh, I, I, I have moved nuclear winter up to fifth in my apocalyptic anxieties. That reminds me, today's podcast is brought to you by Nuclear Winter. Nuclear Winter. One of the ways that we could ensure this podcast doesn't reach its one-year anniversary. This podcast is also brought to you by Toxic Megacolon. You thought that it was a really dope band name. It turns out it is a serious disease that you need to be careful with, so don't take too much Imodium. And also today's podcast is brought to you by the Renaissance. The Renaissance, (laughs) the only proper way to pronounce the Renaissance. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by Lena's Friends Sweatshirt. Lena's Friends Sweatshirt. Actually, Lena's sweatshirt. <laughs> I'm so excited for Lena. She just she just got a sweatshirt. Like it, this whole time, she thought that it was her friend's sweatshirt, but now we've given her permission to just accept that it's hers now. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr Pepper. The off brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to 
you and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. All right, Hank, we've got another question. This one comes from Julia, who writes, Dear John and Hank, almost every time I leave the house with my mother, she makes a comment about the sky. Like, it didn't used to be like this. Everyone needs to wake up. The man is trying to control us or the weather. She's kind of obsessed with the man. She is, in general, a smart human. But every time she opens up her mouth and uses the word geoengineering or chemtrails or cloud seeding, I want to roll my eyes so hard. When I Google geothermal engineering and chemtrails, I can't find any legit scientific evidence or studies on it. So I thought... Hey, I bet John could pretend to know the answer, and then Hank could step in and astound us with the sciencey knowledge on this subject. So here I am asking if there is any relevance at all to my mother's claims. Should I be joining my mom in her annoyed rants about the man, or should I just let her spew off her nonsense while I ignore from the passenger side? I'm very sorry this question doesn't involve death. I mean, unless geoengineering is real and the man is trying to kill us all with his chemtrail experiments. Sincerely, longtime fan and creator and gifter of the 2011 Swindon Town Swoodly Poopers FA Cup champions trophy plate by the way julia thank you very much for that it remains one of my all-time favorite gifts <laughs> that's pretty great Hank, I, i'm not even going to pretend to know the answer to this because I, d- I don't even know what chemtrails and geothermal engineering are well several times you, s- you said geothermal engin- engineering when you meant geoengineering uh geothermal engineering is probably the process of building a power plant based on geothermal energy which is not what we're talking about. Geoengineering. Okay, what's geoengineering? Would be the process of attempting to engineer the processes of the planet uh, to control them, to control the weather. Uh, you know, it's something that people talk about when, you know, we're like, okay, so the globe is warming. How do we, like, can we dial that back? Because even if we go like two degrees up in the short term, like in a hundred years, that's going to be bad. But in a thousand years, it's going to be terrible. Uh, so how do we, how do we, like, we have unintentionally controlled the climate. How do we intentionally control it to maybe make it stable again? Um, and that's a legitimate area of current sort of scientific thought. And there are even some times when we are thinking about actually doing things that would affect the the climate. Um, so like whether that's cloud seeding or uh, to, to reflect sunlight back into the sky or into, the, into space or uh, uh, various other other projects that have been tried in very sort of like small scale uh, experiments to see if they actually have an effect even locally. Um, or even uh, I think that Russia thought about creating a mirror that would shine light down on Siberia, a mirror in space uh, that would shine light down on Siberia and, and like increase the amount of radiation that that area of the world is getting, which would be, you know, also a, a way of uh, at least local local geoengineering. Um, but uh, chemtrails uh, are, if you have never heard of a chemtrail, good. Uh, but they are the 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 idea that those the contrails that you see in the sky when a plane is going overhead, uh, the, sort of the, basically the the uh, the 
water vapor being released from the plane and the heat being released from the plane is creating a cloud in the sky. And the idea of a chemtrail is that that's not a cloud. It is, in fact, some kind of chemical that people are using, the government is using to control us or to uh, or to try and change the weather or to do something, generally something insidious. Uh, that's not true. Uh, at all. And a lot of people have gotten really connected with this idea. There's a lot of really, you know, exciting conspiracy theories. They are conspiracy theories. It's not real. And those are just clouds that planes make. Clouds that planes make could have an effect on the climate uh, just by being clouds, but they are made of water vapor, not of anything dangerous. Um, And that's, uh, that's, it's, so that's the situation. Um, geoengineering is an active area of low-level scientific research. Uh, chemtrails do not exist. Uh, they are actually just clouds. And But dealing with someone who believes conspiracy theories who is important in your life is always hard. Uh, and I, I don't have a ton of advice for that except to just keep loving them anyway. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you, Hank, but mostly I'm just happy that you just talked for so long because it means that you might talk more than me in this podcast. I have another question for you, Hank. This is also a kind of Hank-oriented question. It comes from Gerda, or Gerda, from Sweden. Could also be pronounced Renaissance. I'm not positive. (laughs) She writes, Dear John and Hank, if I, as a human female, were pregnant with kittens... Would I be pregnant for nine months like a human or nine weeks like a cat? P.S. This is rather urgent. So I don't I don't know why it's urgent. I mean, there's a couple there's a couple possibilities, (laughs) one of which is truly alarming. (laughs) But (laughs) well, yes, one of the one of the potential reasons. Yes, I'm scared for Gerda. The good news is. Uh, that it can't be that urgent unless you are nine weeks pregnant with kittens. Yeah, not least because you're about to have some kittens. If you're only three weeks pregnant with kittens, then I'm not super concerned. But if you're nine weeks pregnant with kittens, you do need to go see a doctor now. The situation here is that uh, the pregnancy is determined both by the physiology of the mother and by the child, but you do not want to have uh, any child that is in the womb for longer than it was designed to be in the womb for. Uh, so the the cats are going to have to come out even if your body isn't ready for them to come out, which is fine because we have all kinds of medical procedures that are, you know, not the best thing to have to go through in the world, but uh, we have have them and you can get a C-section and have the cats removed and they will be healthy. Will they will they be healthy? Yes. I mean, yes. They will need uh, you will need to find a a nursemaid, a wet nurse cat mother to take care of them or or uh you know, that would be the ideal situation or you could uh you know, bottle feed them with with cat formula. But um I think it's going to be fine. Uh, I do have some questions, though. I have a couple of big concerns, Hank. Number one, if I implanted uh, kitten embryos into a, a human womb, would I actually get cats? Uh, you would not. No, you would. Oh, okay, good. I mean, I was freaking out for a second there. <laughs> just, just we are not we are not similar enough uh, for that to happen, unless Gerda from Sweden has some really interesting physiology 
You know what, Hank? Uh, I have grown uncomfortable with this question and feel that we should move on. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, I, I'm calling it. Okay, we've got another question. This one's from Lorelai, John, who asks, Dear Hank and John, it's a slightly more serious question, so get ready. Recently, my fiancé discovered he has a daughter that he was previously unaware of. Not only did he wait two months to tell me about said daughter, but now he wants to postpone our wedding that I did all the planning for. I'm very conflicted. I'm angry at him for not confiding in me. Me, but also, I want to give him the time and space he needs. My fiance and I have been dancing around each other for literally like 10 years, and I've been so excited to actually finally get married to him. Now I feel like everything is falling apart. What should I do? Any any dubious advice is welcome. Is this question uh, from a character in the television program, The Gilmore Girls? Dang it! <laughs> I really was hoping that you would answer it. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> what a great question. Uh, first off, thanks to the Gilmore Girls for writing in. Always a pleasure. Um, you know, it's funny because when you write the when you write the, a plot summary of the Gilmore Girls like that, my general like my advice would have been. I don't know about you, Hank, but my advice would have been like, I uh, I feel like you should probably take ten to twelve steps back. Well, I mean, he was unaware of it, so. If it had been some like if it had been a secret for your entire relationship, then I would say yes, definitely take ten to st- twelve steps back. But but if he's freaking out and he takes two months to tell you about it after he finds out, I think that that's not cool. Um, but it's like there is a way of understanding that, like in a relationship. The main thing, the main, I guess the main thing for me is that it reminds me that uh, real, real life, uh, both fictional real life and non-fictional real life are so complicated and particular uh, that really advice is profoundly dubious. Like even, yes, yes. E- even advice uh, that, that advertises itself as dubious like ours is even more dubious than it seems at first glance um, <laughs> because everyone's life is so specific yeah. and so particular uh, and and we don't know the whole truth of your story. And in fact, like neither do you. Right. So, uh, yeah, it just reminds me that the whole concept of an advice show is ludicrous. Right. Well, and, and also like it reminds me that I have to say to Gerda, um, you know, live your life the way you want to live it. Uh, and, and if you want to have kittens. <laughs> God, we're not going back to the kittens. <laughs> I refuse. All right. Let's answer one more question before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. This question, Hank, comes from Wyman. Dear John and Hank, I am Ty, and here we have more than 20 types of bananas. Bananas are so easy to find here. We grow both intentionally and unintentionally bananas everywhere, even in our own backyard. Stop talking to me about heaven, Wyman. (laughs) The Cavendish banana is not that popular here. My question is, why is the rest of the world only eating Cavendish bananas when there are several other alternatives which are tastier? On another note, I've seen bananas that are rectangular, triangular, pentagonal, (laughs) pentagonal, and even ones that seem circular. Uh, We may have cut this part out, but John just said pentagonal, or he almost said pentagonal, and I just, I wish that you would kept... I I caught myself before I said pentagonal. Uh, Uh, Good old, that's, you know, Hank, things come in multiple shapes, you know? (laughs) They can be diagonal, they can be triagonal, they can be quadragonal. Or they can be pentagonal. I know the answer to this question, um, if you want to know. I bet the answer is that Cavendish bananas are hardier 
and even though they don't taste very good, they're easy to ship. Basically, yeah. Not not only are they easy to ship and hardy, uh, they are also easy to ripen on command. So a Cavendish banana, you can mm. keep unripe for a very long time and then expose them to a chemical that tells them to ripen and then put them on the shelves at the supermarket. And, uh, and that allows for bananas to come from a very long way away and uh, still be... Uh, always and and always not spoil before they get to the store, which is quite cool. Cavendish, thank you. That is kind of cool. Um, and and also like I think that that the Cavendish banana is quite good. Um, there there is something very n- nice about the simplicity of its flavor, um, and that makes it I think appealing uh, very broadly. Whereas other bananas have stronger flavors that are, you know, m- might be more exciting uh, and but like maybe not best for breakfast every single morning of your life. But I could be wrong. I haven't had all of these wonderful heavenly bananas that Wyman seems to be constantly exposed to and and is making me very jealous. Hank and I are so old and moderate that we even like our bananas to be pretty standard. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) How how old and like risk-averse are you? Well, I don't want a delicious banana in the morning. That's how risk-averse I am. Yeah, I just sort of want, I want a... (laughs) You know, normal, plain, what you might call yeah. a vanilla banana. Actually, vanilla banana sounds quite good. Yeah. Do you have anything? Do you have anything that's less tasty? <laughs> that's what I always say when I call down to room service. I'm just. I'm wondering if you could make these eggs a bit blander. Uh, can I tell you a story about room service, John? Yes, but then we have to get to the week's news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, not least because the Champions League is about to start. One time, I was in a foreign country and I asked for a sprite uh, through room service because I was getting food, and they said lemonade and i said no sprite and they said okay and then they brought and then uh, what i got was a wine spritzer and i was like well this is not definitely not sprite but what i found out was that in that country uh sprite and uh and other drinks like it fizzy uh lemon lime drinks are called lemonade and now ah. I know that. Whereas in America, lemonade always does not have bubbles. That is correct. Lemonade always does not have bubbles. Hank, is there? Uh, did anything interesting happen on the uh, cold, dead rock known as Mars this week? Uh, lots of interesting things happened, and it's always so hard to pick just one. By the way, uh, but if uh, you, you're aware that Mars has uh, uh, weather, correct, John? Uh yes. Um so Mars has dust storms, it has uh it has, you know, poles and like and it's warmer in the middle and colder at the tops and uh and all kinds of cool weather things happen on Mars, but uh they are somewhat more rare than the weather things that happen here on Earth. One of the things that happens um are dust devils and we can see the tracks of these dust devils and the pictures that we take they're very difficult to see though the the devils themselves when you're looking from the top because they're vertical structures but opportunity uh the rover was just taking a picture and happened to catch a dust devil as it passed behind it uh and so you can go and see nasa's photo of this cute little dust devil and and opportunity's rover tracks uh, reaching off into the distance and uh, I just think that it's so cool to see things happening on the surface of Mars as they happen. And it's so nice to have several concurrent missions happening at the same time on Mars. And I'm excited for more and more of them to be there sending us these beautiful photos. 
Okay, we'll try to put that up on the uh, Patreon. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John, and uh, you can support us directly and, and listen to our monthly uh, pre-show uh, live stream uh, and watch it, in fact, since it is a video. Uh, but you can also just see stuff at the Patreon, even if you don't contribute, and we won't be mad. We understand. Uh, but uh, your support... Uh, the, the people who do, do support us uh, allows us to help defray the costs of Nick and Claudia um, who work on the uh, on the podcast. So thank you. As for the news from AFC Wimbledon, Hank. Mm-hmm. So you will recall that, that last week the news was that we were making an AFC Wimbledon uh, movie, which is very exciting. Yes, that's very exciting. However, you will also recall that I kind of buried the fact that uh, AFC Wimbledon season more or less ended with a loss to Hartlepool. Uh, leaving them in uh, 10th place in League Two mm-hmm. uh, in a game that, they, that, that it was widely believed they had to win. And the reason they had to win that game was because they were almost certainly going to lose away at Wycombe the next week, or Wycombe, or possibly Wycombe. Nobody knows for sure how to pronounce <laughs> it, as it is a fictional town um, made up uh, by people uh, who live in England, presumably as a joke. Uh, their, uh, their, their mascot seems to be a puffin. Anyway, um, they are doing quite well in league two. And so the thought was that we were going to lose that game away, but instead, uh, AFC Wimbledon won that game. And while they are still in 10th place, they have the proverbial game in hand. They have played one fewer game than, uh, the four teams above them, Mm. uh, which means that if they were to win that hypothetical, uh, game, uh, if like if every team won every game between now and the end of the season, which is now just uh, six games away for most teams, seven games away for AFC Wimbledon, um, then uh, then Wimbledon would end up seventh in the table and would indeed go uh, to the playoffs. Oh. So uh, hope is once again alive due to two goals from the Montserratian Messi, that man Lyle Taylor, the great Lyle Taylor, the Messi from Montserrat. Uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo of uh, Caribbean Islandos. I'm tr- I'm still working on on new nicknames for him. Um, I'm not quite all the way there, but uh, he scored two goals. Uh, and Wimbledon seemed to be getting healthy at the right time. Uh, center back Will Nightingale, uh, one of the best surnames in all of football, is coming back uh, to. Um, uh, from injury, there's a bunch of good things happening. So suddenly. Uh, hope that thing with feathers that refuses uh, to go away uh, is back in uh, Wimbledon's lives. And with seven games to go, uh, it's pretty exciting. You know what also is the thing with feathers, John? What? The mascot of the Wycombe Wanderers, which appears <laughs> to be either a goose or a duck, but definitely uh, not not a puffin. Also, possibly a swan. I'm not sure. It's some kind of water bird. Yeah, it's a, it's a... It's a, you can tell it's a water bird because I think it has a fish in its mouth. Nope, that's a crown. Um, it's holding a crown in its mouth. The be- the best thing is that it appears to be pooping a necklace. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Wycombe is a lovely place, uh, but your the mascot of your football team is a, is a waterfowl pooping a necklace. <laughs> <laughs> not the end of the world. That's not an insult. Worst things have happened. It's just an observation. All right, John, for for our last question, I'm going to give you half a question. Are you ready for half a question? Okay. All right. This is from Matilda, who asks, Dear Hank and John, today is the first day when I have caught up with the entire podcast. Thank you, Matilda, meaning that I will start 
listening to my brother, my brother and me instead of dear Hank and John <laughs> while dissecting beetle genitalia now. I loved the beginning of this question so much that I had to read it. The rest of the question is an appeal to us to appreciate pennies more and I have no interest in reading that. Sorry, Matilda. There are some things we will never change our mind on, but thank you for writing in oh, some lovely thoughts. Uh, and you know, I would love to know whether Matilda uh, dissects beetle genitalia uh, for fun uh, <laughs> or for work. Or, you know, maybe it's one of those things where your passion and your career happen to line up perfectly. Um, but uh, I will refuse, uh, I will continue to refuse uh, to um, to say anything positive about the penny, which uh, should never be used uh, ever again as it does not in any way facilitate the exchange of goods and services, which is the purpose of currency. Currency has no secondary purpose. Uh, it is supposed to make it easier and, uh, for us uh, to behave in economically rational ways. The penny is a wonderful example of the failure of uh, markets uh, to act in rational ways. Uh, and I will not hear any arguments to the counter it's one of the very few things I feel so strongly about that I cannot even bring myself to read uh, Penny Apologists. Um, <laughs> Hank, what did we learn today? Oh, gosh. Uh, so many things. John? I know. It's really, it was a day of learning. It's so hard to distill it into four things. <laughs> John, we learned that uh, sometimes a football team can win even when the people think they're going to lose to a goose with a necklace hanging out of its butt. <laughs> uh, we learned that if you're pregnant with kittens, uh, you, you, you shouldn't be pregnant for too long. So I guess that's good news. We learned that there are healthy-ish ways to not poop for a whole day. And also that nuclear winter is scary, at least to John. And of course... Uh, we learned that Renaissance can also be pronounced Renaissance. Or must also be pronounced Renaissance, apparently. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our <laughs> podcast uh, and for sending in all of your questions. You can send in questions uh, to us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Uh, you can also use the hashtag DearHankAndJohn on Twitter, where I'm John Green. Hank is Hank Green. You can also follow us on Snapchat. Hank, I've gotten a little bit into Snapchat recently. Hank is Hank, G-R-E. I am John Green Snaps, or John Green Snaps, really, depending on your worldview. Um, our podcast is uh, produced and edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our intern is Claudia Morales. Rosiana Hulse Rojas helps out with the questions. Our theme music is by Gunnarola. Thank you again for listening, and as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.